Thank you, as always, for listening. In this episode, Chris and I are going to talk about the Cortex Prime uh, toolkit, book of options, book of rules ideas. Can't call it a rule book, can't call it a game. But if you give a listen, you might settle on some way to describe it. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Right, there we go. Well, I, I'm really, really interested in hearing your your thoughts about this. So let's let's jump into it. And again, I'm going to introduce. That's Chris. The intro. Again. We got to do the intro again because we're picking up new people and we're just these uh, mystery voices. So I'm Jeremy. You are. I am Chris. I am not American. No, you're not. No, you're not. Well, and then be careful what you say next. I'm, neither am I English, or at least there are a few. No, you're not. You're 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 Welsh, aren't you? I am Welsh. Look at that. Hello. But yeah, look. <laughs> but, but aren't you but but aren't you then kind of like living like a refugee of sorts? I mean, technically I'm half and half, but I was born in Wales and I prefer to be Welsh. But yeah, I do live in England and I have an English accent. Well, I was born in uh, the United States and I live in the United States. Although what I like to say, I was born back east. I was born in New Jersey. Um, so I'm Yankee by birth, but Western pioneer by upbringing. But you've you've left America, right? Well, I mean, I've lived overseas. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. So, well, the joke both. that we I don't know whether it's a joke or not, but of course, a lot of people joke that people who Americans never actually leave the country. To be fair, when it's that bigger country, you've got that much different scenery and stuff to see. It's I true. Kind of get that. No, really, actually, it is. Um, it is a strange thing, and it's something. You know, there's, there's so much in life that is. Um, that by the time you are old enough and you've you've thought enough and seen enough of the world by some means that you start to examine all the unexamined things of your youth and your upbringing like you don't even we don't even like my home state is bigger than some european countries which is crazy it's just like the the idea of like i'll just keep driving and like the land won't <laughs> run out um like, don't ever drive east to west or west to east across Texas. On Interstate 10 across Texas, it's like 800 some odd miles. Yeah. Straight. It just, it, Texas just never ends. So it's I've, got just, this, yeah. I've got this really cool, well, it's not a poster, it's a diagram I found on the internet, which I then printed as a poster, which I have in my, in my classroom at, at school. Hmm. And uh, it has what your the different states, which country has the same GDP as that state. Oh, and wow. When you get, when you get to like California and Texas, it's, oh, it's like crazy. proper. It's like you know Canada. It's like proper, like Mexico. It's like proper countries. Yeah, that fit into those really big states. But then even all of the smaller states, like Rhode Island's tiny, but probably has the same GDP as like you know Latvia or somewhere. Um, it's bonkers. Well, crazy too, because especially I mean, somebody. I actually I just read an article recently about the the Baltic states and how uh, how they're sadly slowly, actually a little more and quicker than slowly depopulating. Um, Gee, I, I can't imagine why people are moving further away. Oh, further away from that that uh, that bear out in the east. Who would who'd have thunk it? Yeah. Um, anyway, let's yeah. let's talk about fun and fantastical things instead of like dreadful uh, dreadful current events. So actually, you know what? I I wanted to comment on my last uh, my last week in some, but I'll ask you first. Um, did you do any gaming? I know you were sick last week. We didn't record, unfortunately. But have you? 
gotten yeah, better. I don't I've done I'm any trying, gaming. Depends when we last recorded. I've definitely played Marvel since then. I've I've done a lot of like tinkering with the new Marvel game, like looking at the rules and the maths of it, and then like running little scenarios with myself with various different sort of rules iterations. Um, I can't remember if I've met the guys and played since then. Okay. Because again, like you said, I was ill. So the night that yeah. the night we were meant to record, I'm like, oh no, the night after I was meant to record because I couldn't, I was ill. I was still ill, but actually then Scott bailed anyway. So he's even flakier than I was. So so it's yeah, but we're meant to be playing this week. It, it, it at this point it's kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, we started playing this Strad campaign in February, and I think we've managed four sessions so far in like three months. Ugh. These anyway, how about you? <laughs> well, I um <clears throat> We, uh, what was it? A week before last, we uh, we played we played the first half of the uh, the Romanian Imperative, which is a um, Octum Cthulhu adventure that has a Zeppelin in it. So I'm happy about the Zeppelin. And then this last weekend, and this this actually calls back to what we were just talking about the the size of the continental United States. I um I flew across the country on Friday morning to see my daughter's college graduation on Saturday morning and then flew back across the country on Sunday morning uh, to be, to get home. So uh, I covered a lot of territory in a very short period of time. And, and now I can proudly say that um, if, uh, if my daughter were a, uh, uh, my older daughter were a player character, she now has a class. She has leveled up. Um, <laughs> Because she is uh, has graduated from college, so we're uh, really happy about that. It was neat, but my goodness, what a whirlwind! Yeah, it did sound like you were quite busy. Yeah, well, I mean, with the time difference too. Uh, yesterday morning, I I got up at the equivalent of one fifteen a.m. my my home time, so I could catch a six fifteen in the morning flight, which was three fifteen in the morning my home time because I'm uh, on Pacific time right now, and we were uh, in the Eastern time zone, so we skipped three time zones and then came back three time zones a day and a half later. So I'm going to be special uh, for the next day or three because I don't, I, I, homie, don't play the jet lag like I used to. It does, it just does not uh, doesn't sit well with me. But anyway, yeah, so that that's good. Now I don't have to be on a plane for about two months. And that makes me very happy. Um, but yes, my daughter now has, uh, she's not an NPC anymore. She has a, she's PC class. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about today then? We're going to talk about Cortex Prime. We're going to talk about Cortex Prime, the, the book. And what is it? What is what, hold up the Cor book like yeah. not that anyone can see it but you know no, like cortex prime game handbook game handbook which i think is an interesting choice of word and and i don't think it so much dances around but it it at least to those paying attention and considering the the use of words you recognize something in the fact that it calls itself a handbook and not like yeah. a game well, I mean, the, 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 the first tagline on the back is even clearer because it says a truly multi-genre, modular role-playing toolkit system. Yeah. So there's two words in there, which kind of, yeah, it says modular and it says toolkit. Um, the trouble is, and if you keep reading down, it kind of goes through. It includes character creation options and full rules for this and completely hackamizable mods. So actually, if you kind of ignore the importance of that bit and kind of reading down, you might get the idea that this is a game that you can play straight out of the book right which, it's not meant to be uh it's i don't it's, it's not intended to be and it's not meant to be but again this comes out of 
uh, I mean, this comes out of a Kickstarter that came from quite a while before, because obviously Cortex existed as like the home system of the Margaret Weiss thing. And yep. then they then they started messing around with it and they called it, well, they called it Cortex Plus. And that was what ran, like, let them lean off here, the credits, Leverage, Smallville, uh, Marvel Heroic. There was Firefly, yeah, Firefly. Was Firefly was the second. Which they had, it, they had a yeah. Serenity version and Battlestar yeah. Galactica and Supernatural. And I believe yeah. that was the older. Yeah, that was the older one. Right. So then Firefly was 2014. And around then... They released something called the Cortex Plus Hackers Guide in 2013, which kind of gave you the options from those other things. Because part of the problem was they they kept tweaking with their sort of this house system because what you had in, what was in Leverage was not the same as what was in Smallville, was not the same that was in Marvel Heroic, was not the same as in Firefly. They had the basic core of how you rolled the dice was the same, and that was it. Everything else was different. And the Hackers Guide was like, well, here's a here's a sort of the, the, the license stripped off version. And then sometime around then 2015-ish, um, Cam Banks, the kind of lead designer on that, said, I am going to do a totally separate Cortex thing. Eventually, it was called Cortex, but it might have been at the time. I can't remember. Um, that Because kind of what was happening is Margaret White went belly up, and also all of those licenses got lost. So yeah. like Marvel Heroic in particular was the worst one. Marvel Heroic released, and then within a year, it was gone. So if you wanted to play that game, you had to you know, find Marvel, a copy or use a PDF or whatever else. Marvel Heroic was like a late Soviet Union premiere. Like they were dead longer than they were alive when they were in office. <laughs> I, re I remember that. I remember the, the guy before Gorbachev, Konstantin Chernyenko. He was, I think he was formally in office for like 13 months. And I remember telling people he disappeared. I remember when I was in high school, I'm telling people he's dead. He's dead. He's been, he, he's been dead for longer than he's been alive while he's in office. That's the way the Soviets do things. And lo and behold, yeah, that was, that was a quick turnaround. Um, um but, but I was just going to finish one thing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, so they, they announced this Cortex Prime Kickstarter and it took so long to come out that actually in, in the process of it coming out, it was then bought by another company. So Fandom, which is the company that at one point, I think ran D&D Beyond and now just kind of does a lot of sort of wiki type stuff. Um, they bought the rights to Cortex Prime as big to be their system. So before it even got out, they had then bought it to wow. use it in their own licensed games, which is Dragon Prince and then and Master of the Universe, so He-Man, before it even got released. So even before this book came, because this book came out, I think last year. I yeah. think I probably got, I had various PDF copies of this through 2020, but the P, the actual book dropped in probably 2021. So yeah. it was a good five or six years. I mean, part of the problem was in that time that sort of like Cam, you know, the company changed and he was doing it by himself. And then I think he moved to New Zealand um, and he moved back to New Zealand. So there was like a lot going on, but it's, it was sort of a five-year process to get yeah. this this book to yeah, it's, to um, town. So it's, it's copyright is 2020. So yeah. whether it be whenever it came out. Now, let's go ahead and do this to make sure. I mean, I, I think that while a lot of gamers, uh, people who have gone beyond just like D&D, have paid attention to other systems whether they played other systems are probably at least marginally aware that there these other games have existed however i would definitely put cortex and all the properties that have sat under it its various versions as as more of a niche you know it's it yeah. i'd call it like a one percent system you know it's yeah, it it's not it is not widely played and not widely known so let's go ahead and do this what is the most basic the most fundamental element of the cortex mechanic that's universal so that at least we can establish that and then we'll build outward from that to talk about what's in this book what's not in this book 
what it is, what it isn't, and then what we what we think about it. Luckily, I mean, you can do a, a core rule of this because one of the funny things about this, of course, is other than this core dice mechanic, there is no such thing as a core right as core rules. But your basic mechanic is you have you have some form of traits. Traits will be descriptions or abilities or something, and those traits will tell you what dice to roll. So you're going to do something. Your GM will have a difficulty, and that difficulty is probably, it could be a fixed number, but it's probably a dice roll. So the GM might say, right, the difficulty is 2d6, and they're going to roll 2d6 and add them together, and that's your difficulty. You as a player are going to take all of the dice that you have traits for, and this could be this could be like two or three dice, some some variation could be five or six. And you these take are, a bunch of, just to make sure everyone's clear, these are this is the typical array of RPG dice, four, six, eight, 10, and 12. It does not use a 20-sided die. No. So it's just take, those four to twelve. That's what we're yeah. talking about—a pool of dice made up of dice of those yeah. those those sides. You tend not to use the fours, although there's ways to come up. So generally, you'd have it. So you might go, "All right, I've got a, I've got a, a six in this stat. I've got an eight in this. I've got a ten in this. I've got a twelve in that." And you take those four dice and you roll those four dice. And then what you would do is you would take the two highest numbers and you would add those two numbers together. And essentially, if those two numbers added together is higher than the difficulty that the GM rolled or the GM set then you succeed. And right. I think there's, there's probably a rule along the lines of, you know, if you succeed by five or more, then that's yes. really good and that kind of thing. And that, but yeah. that's the basic core rule that went all the way through Leverage and Smallville and so on, and that is here in, in Cortex Prime. That's like your standard core of that's how the thing works. Right. So the, the, the thing that I find interesting about it is that uh, you, like you said, no matter how large your pool is, you're in almost every case, you're only choosing two dice to add together. It is not meet or beat a difficulty. It is beat a difficulty. So that, that, that means something. Uh, you must beat it in order to succeed. Uh, and then there's degree of success. Uh, and then there's also, in this, they have an effect die, uh, which in some circumstances can determine some other aspect of, your, of the outcome of your task. And I, as far as I understand, you choose the effect die. So out of the, like you, let's say you have five dice to roll, you choose the two of those five that you're going to add together. Of the remaining three, based on various situational issues, you would choose one of those dice and say, that's my effect die. And then that has, uh, in sometimes, some cases, like a, a more quantitative, some cases a more qualitative effect on the outcome of the task. Um, but I want to make it really clear to people listening that, uh, you know, you said that in some cases there's a, a fixed uh, difficulty number. Um, according to what I've read in this Cortex Prime Primer Handbook Toolkit book, it's rolls on both sides. Yeah. So the GM, I want to make this really clear to people because this is something I want to come back to. When the GM sets the difficulty for, say, because they have they, 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 break, they break rolls into two general usually two categories tasks and contests yeah so a task is something you're doing like trying to pick a lock contest is you're trying to like defeat someone in hand-to-hand -hand combat yeah the gm chooses the dice to quote set the difficulty rolls those dice and then that sets the difficulty number that the player must beat yeah i think that's a really important piece that i that i want to come back to but yeah that that's that's the core of cortex you're right yeah <laughs> The, the kind of other things that come up that are, uh, count as core under the core thing. One is something called hitches and botches. Yeah. A hitch is you roll a dice, you roll a one on a dice. That's a hitch. 
depending on what other rules you use, it, it, the GM can do different things. But usually it's like, right, well, you succeeded, but this other bad thing might happen. Or the GM might keep it and then throw it back at you in the future. If all of them come up as a one, then it's a botch and it's like everything's gone horribly wrong. Um, Which obviously is it's the more dice you as a player roll, the less likely uh, coming up with a botch, rolling all ones. I mean, if you have five dice of varying sizes, rolling all ones is going to be far less likely than yeah. if you only have two dice. And this is why one of the downsides where lower dice are bad. So there are situations right. where you can sort of add D4s in if you don't have enough dice, but then the D4s much more likely to come up as a one, which is a bad thing. Um, it also I mean, has, kind of... Go on. I was going to say, the one thing also to, to remember, that this, this core of Cortex, and I'm looking at page six of the book right now where it says the core of Cortex, it spends a couple of pages explaining the most basic elements of the system, also has plot points, which when you roll a hitch, when you roll a one, um, your GM gives you a plot point. <clears throat> so something bad is going to happen to you, but you are rewarded for your immediate um, setback of some sort with a, you know, something that you can use as a mechanical boost later. Um, and if you kind of look through the rest of this, that, that's the kind of the main bones of it. The rest of the, the first thing has things for kind of like, how might effect dice be used? It's something called SFX, which is just means effect. It, it's, it's if you're coming from 2D20, it's, it's either effect on the effects dice or it's, you know, the things you spend momentum on. That's what SFX is. It's, it's special things that say, right, well, you can, do something fancy with your dice, or you can spend a pot point to do that. Or if you do this, then it's it's like extra things. It's the one of the things that actually makes the system more interesting. If you take the SFX out, you're just you're just rolling dice. There's nothing yeah. fancy there at all. SFX is like extra little bonuses to doing things. Um, but everything we said, kind of fine, is kind of the key rules. And then there's rules for like getting taken out. And the standard version of that is kind of weird. What it's meant to be is that the, the GM sets a difficulty, and if you exceed the difficulty, you're fine. Where the combat goes is a bit weird. What's meant to happen is that so the, the NPCs might they might attack, and then you you beat their value because so you beat their value. Then they get to try and beat your value, and you might kind of keep going back and forth. And one side loses, and depending on what version of the rules you're playing, in theory, one side is taken out, which basically means they lost and the other side won. Um, and there's various different things, and this kind of goes back to like in Marvel Heroic, it was you throw a punch if you, you it was just you you attack, they defend, you do damage. But in, in Smallville and Leverage, it was Marshmallow, this back and forth, and it was meant to represent like a whole scene. And at the end of that scene, someone either gives up or loses. And you didn't have, and so it was very different from your standard combat. Now, it, depending on how you do the rules is kind of how it works, because that kind of would take something main thing. Jeremy's already hinted at this, and like I mentioned it. Beyond that very core thing, the rest of the game is a toolkit. It really is, you can choose how to put which bits of the rules and how you're going to put the game together. So, for example, and then we can go into much more of the stuff, just at the back of the first section where we have tests and contest mods, we have rules just on how, to, how we can change rolling the dice. So the first one is this idea of action-based resolution, which is what we see in almost every other role-playing game, which is, right, yeah. someone does something, they have a difficulty, they succeed. Now it's the next person's go, and they do something, they succeed, and so on. There's a, there's a mod for add all the dice. You just have all the dice. There's a mod for you don't use the effect dice. Um, and then there's a mod there for static difficulty where yep. we kind of have a thing for like very easy, easy challenge and hard and very hard. So if the GM is like, well, I don't like the rule where I roll dice for the difficulty because I want to fix difficulty, but it's just there. You just choose that. You say, right, my, this version of the game, we use a fixed difficulty. Um, and that's kind of how the kind of the rest of the book goes is that the rest of the book has 
how do you want to put your game together? Yeah. I think it's really important. You, you provide a, a segue for me here. It's really important if you're thinking about, oh, I've heard of this book or, hey, this sounds kind of interesting. It's a different kind of system. It's got lots of dice pools, but not necessarily ridiculously sized dice pools like like Shadowrun or Shadowrun. <laughs> some other, you know, there were, I know there were a lot of nineties games. Well, Vampire the Masquerade, sometimes you could have ridiculously sized, ridiculously large dice pools. But um, uh, if you're considering this, it really is a toolkit that, that core mechanic that we just described is really the only thing that is for the most part, even that for the most part, that stays the same. The rest of the book is all a bunch of options and suggestions. Like, look, look. When it, when when we say that this is this is actually not a game. No. It's a it's a book of rules and suggestions for how these different kinds of options could be hung on this core mechanic and some of them are significant changes to it. Like the static difficulty, uh that's on page 25. Um you know, I one of the things that I don't like about the the core of cortex is the idea of the swinginess of a gm not being able to set the difficulty i mean think about this you know they have uh they've got the dice numbered like the idea that a you know a die six would be considered easy and when a gm sets the difficulty i'm putting in scare quotes and says this is going to be an easy task here's a lock you're going to pick and it's an easy lock to pick so in that case the gm takes two die sixes rolls them and adds them together that is actually what sets the number for the for that easy difficulty what if you roll two sixes like you as gm don't actually have you have some influence over setting the difficulty but you actually don't set the difficulty unless you choose the mod of static difficulty and then it has easy set at seven now on average you're probably going to roll about that but again what if you don't um yeah i i hate that <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't like that i mean it, it's it was the thing that so there's an even more ridiculous version of that called the doom pool and this is what marvel heroic had and i absolutely hated it but it basically worked along the lines rather than having like this idea that if you roll a one on one of your dice that you get a plot point and we can talk about what plot points do but yeah it's, it's straightforward um but the idea of that was that it, rather than just like if someone rolls a one on their dice right the gm gives you a, a uh, gives you a plot point but then he takes the dice that you got and adds it to his doom pool and then what was meant to happen is anytime you did something that wasn't attacking an enemy so if you were trying to stop a bus that was out of control or a collapse in building or you were trying to pick a lock you would roll the doom pool which meant that kind of it didn't matter whether that was an easy lock to pick or a hard lock to pick what mattered was is it at the start of the adventure where everything's easy or is it near the end of the adventure where everything suddenly becomes rock solid? Because that Doom Pool's got D10s and D12s in it. And you still only, the GM would still only take two dice out of their Doom Pool. But I hated that as a rule because it, as a yeah. GM, it took away any kind of leeway. I, you know, I, I'm picking up this big fistful of dice near the end of the game. I'm rolling this and going, right, well, there you go. Your difficulty to stop this bus that's going to hit these civilians is 21. So I guess they're getting creamed. Um, it, it was meant to represent like things getting more dangerous as the adventure yeah. goes on. But it just, I hated it. And so, like, if I was going to run Marvel Heroic now, I'd probably use a good chunk of the rules that were in it, and I'd just rip out the Doom Pool, and I'd just put in, 
fix difficulties. Well, let's let then let's talk about plot points here because I think that's yep. that's the that's the meta currency of this game. You know, and we we get uh, we get really happy over momentum. <laughs> I know we can't. I can't really sit here and complain about meta currencies when we play a game that has three. <laughs> oh, hey, you know what? Look, I think meta. I think meta currencies are great. I, I think meta currencies for for uh, plot and excuse me and you know story and mechanical um, shaping by players in the GM. I think is is really great. And the plot points is the the meta currency in Cortex. Uh, you earn them when you get hitches, but you can also earn them otherwise. Yeah, so the main way, because one of the main traits that they encourage you to have, you don't have to, is a distinction. And a distinction is like a descriptive thing, which is meant to have a good and a bad thing. And one of the ways you're meant to be able to do it, the remote was meant to be a D8, but you're meant to be able to go, right, I think my distinction is counting against me yeah. in this role. So I'm only going to roll a D4, but I'm going to gain a plot point for doing it. The irony being then because you roll the D4, you probably are going to get a you know, one in four chance of getting another one and getting another plot point. But yeah, that's one. And then the other things like, you know, good role play and that will get you them. Um, you can choose to give up. If you like give up in a thing, just go, right, I, I lose. I'm not even going to bother realize you want to fail this role. That will right. get you plot points, which I really like as a role, as a rule. I mean, I, I, I actually like systems. I remember doing it in one of the few times I was like, fate's really cool was a player just going, right, I'm not going to try and avoid this being kidnapped. Clearly, you want us to get kidnapped. We're just going to get kidnapped, yeah. but then you have to give us points. I like that, that sometimes actually for the narrative, it's a good idea for the players to just go, we lose. Yeah. Because it's going to well, be narratively more interesting, but you get a benefit for it. I like that too. I mean, I, I think that um, it, there are more games now that have a mechanic to push that story to push the story in interesting ways and and away from the default of i must win in everything yeah you know sometimes the story is sometimes i'm sorry you know when you have setbacks like look why do why do star wars fans almost universally say empire strikes back is the best of the three originals because it ends on a down note because it's the, the, empire, struck, the empire struck back and 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 bloodied the nose of the rebellion and all that like that makes things yeah. look look if your if your plot is all all it, it's just this flat line of character success after character success that's boring, boring. yeah um but uh but players i think are are naturally averse to you know, I mean, systems where like, well, there isn't any way, like, what, what's the benefit of this? I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose all my stuff. I'm going to get like, you know, <laughs> stuffed in a bag. And there's, what am I supposed to, what's supposed to happen? I like the fact that that's incentivized. Um, so you can earn it by that. Um, you can, I mean, it says here, GM is always free to hand out plot points for remarkable moments in play. Well, the special effects um, provide them. Uh, like you said, if you give in, and then there's lots of ways that you can spend them. You can activate your special effects. You can add more dice to a roll, um, different kinds of, and there, are, and here's the problem. I can't say, well, you would add this one or that one because there are so many different modular options yeah. of what to add, but you can create, um, temporary assets. And that was something that I remember from, uh, the supernatural version of this. Like you could spend a plot point and say like, there's a shotgun in my trunk. You know, you can you can invoke. It's like preparedness in um, in uh, uh, Gumshoe, Nice Black Agents, for example. Like, no, I have a Stinger missile in my backpack, actually. Because you spent the plot point, or you know, you can you can create that. Um, yeah, they actually, so, there's 
in here, there are 11 different ways as standard for the player to yeah. spend plot points. So the next oh, wow. time someone says 2D20 is complicated because of what you can do with momentum, it's like, yeah, that, this, well, this, this is a this is a narrative game which the indie darlings like. This has just is just as much. So and it's interesting because out it. of those eleven, for characters rather for players, some of them are directly mechanical, like just adding dice, and some of them are very narrative, like yeah. create a relationship. Well, what does that mean? You know, um, well, it only works if you're using the relationship trait set. Right, <laughs> right. Actually, I I find. Um, I find some of this um, to be actually pretty complicated uh, with yeah, like considering I, what, you know, what dice to use and how to use them. And, and de depending on like, which you, here's a challenge that I I'll, I'll throw out. I think that's a, that's a, it's an issue with this because again, it's not a game. It's a set of rules, ideas to hang yeah. off of this core mechanic. If you buy this and you think you, as a GM, you're going to run this, you can't just tell your players to buy the book and read it and they'll know the rules because which ones, you know, it, it, it's weird. It's, it's almost like, um, like there needs to be a digital version where the GM can go through and check off all the parts they want. And then they press a button and it generates a PDF that says, oh, okay, bad. players, here's your rules reference because otherwise you'd be, you'd be, you'd hand people a list of, well, on page 23, use this paragraph, but not that one. Yeah. And on page 25, we're going to do static difficulty. Uh, and we're going to add, I mean, there's so many different options. Right. When they finally kind of more or less finalized this, someone did something called the Cortex Prime Rules Menu, which is basically a one, maybe two page A4 sheet, which has all of the options. And you can color in which ones you're using. Oh. But even then, that works fine for the GM, for the GM to know what's in my rule set. You still yeah. couldn't give that to the players because you still need to explain to the players how they put together a character. And sure. uh, I mean, to be honest, that's probably the thing we need to move on to next because that's one of the main things. Once you've, the actual, how combat or how, how act scenes go is very straightforward. Like there's only a few moderate things to that. Uh, I mean, technically we still haven't quite finished the core thing. There's a thing called hero dice, but it's like, it's something different instead of, or it's like an adjacent to plot points. I think it came up in Firefly. You don't need plot points and this, that's excessive. So I'm just, I'm just skipping. There are different ways to do yeah. the same sort of thing. And I, and here, here's the, the one thing that I know, and the doom pool is here. That's on page yeah, 32. Skipping that. Nope, we won't talk nope. about that. Moving on. Um, the, the, uh, the thing that, that I have not trouble with, okay, but I see as a challenge or as an issue in this is that as you're reading through, you know, you, you have, uh, you, you, you've you got probably already plot. lost at this point, because at this point, you've already seen so many different options. You're already, right. and, unless, so, because I came at this from having played, played a lot of Marvel, played a bit of Smallville, having read Leverage and Firefly, this was just all of that stuff split up and, and presented. So this was fine for me. But if you've never played any of those games and you come to this book, you're already you're swamped at this point. You're going to be overwhelmed, the, the, yeah. Have, having, like, Doom Pool, you just, there needs to be a thing that says, ignore this, don't you? This is optional. And like, here, <laughs> this is optional, don't use this. Well, they do assets have... Assets and complications, you can't ignore that. You need assets no. and complications in your game because assets are, like you said, things you can create, but that's a standard part of the rules. And then complications are like bad assets. 
Yeah. So the assets and complications yeah, are like truth, truth in 2D20. Yeah. Um, complications are important. They because in some versions, that's how you take damage. You don't take damage. You have it a complication of injured. And then anytime someone attacks you, they would use that complication against you. That's a core part of the rules. But it's put after the hero dice and doom pool rules, which are very much optional. But I don't think it's super clear what is and what is not optional at that point. Well, no, they're well they, they do. They do. If you notice next to, um, they have this little. It looks like a weird target site sort of thing, little symbol. And I think that's next to all the things that are. Yeah, you're right. Optional. So there is a visual tell. Here's the, the the challenge though that I have. Like for example, by the time you're on about page forty of the rule book, or you're into the forties. You have there are there are more options than there are what can what are considered to be core like essential parts of the system. Like for example, you know assets and complications are by default they're labeled as being like those are essential pieces. And then then there's an assets and complications mod section that follows that. The problem that I have with this is that the options and the 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 essential pieces are essentially presented as like, let, let's imagine each of these elements, each of the subdivisions are, are like cards. And I've laid all of these cards face up <laughs> out on a very large table. And it, the table's just covered in these freaking cards. And I'm looking at all of them and I'm like, how do I make sense of this? And now I think what they're trying to do is say, well, we labeled some of them. These are clearly the, the essentials. And these are the these are the core parts, and these are the the module, the optional parts of it. The problem is that what I'm what I they they provide little examples of how the stuff is used. There are lots of little uh, tables that show you the different kinds of dice combinations. That's handy. What I think it lacks is that there isn't any kind of um, call it like uh, uh, like bigger picture commentary. Like, hey, listen, hero points are going to make your game, maybe we think hero points will make your game feel more like this. Yeah. And a doom pool will make your game feel more like that. If you're looking to run this kind of a, a vibe at the table, this is why we included this. The stuff is just, it's just, it's just like one thing after another, after another of options and no sense of, how they there's no commentary about no. how they compare against one another if you want to make something like pulpy and high action or if you want to make something really gritty and more realistic uh, and difficult for for players mechanically and story-wise like which of these mods do they think would work best in that and i don't see that i think this is why the history is important everything in this book is there because it came from another yep. version of cortex plus and then extra stuff was added in and that game was done as a Kickstarter for people who already liked Cortex. And then it took six years to come out. By the time this book came out, those games are all long gone and no one's playing them and no one has played them in years and years. No, it, the you, people if you picking want to find up, them. Yeah, you hey, can't. wait a minute. You didn't, you didn't buy Serenity or you didn't buy Supernatural from some, some guy in the United States through eBay, did you? No, I don't. Super, okay. I don't Supernatural is one of the. <laughs> I had Battlestar. Okay. And some I, some I, guy I, from England several years ago <laughs> bought my three supernatural yeah. books for me from me from a for a ridiculous amount of money. I got like the Battlestar book for anymore. the original price, so I paid the novel. Wow. I already sold it for next to nothing. Uh, I got the original Battlestar book. I may have had Serenity, but I'm not sure. I don't think I ever actually bought the newer Firefly book because I wasn't. 
Um, cause I just, I think it appeared and it disappeared so quickly. I don't think I ever got hold of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it is worth remembering that. So like when you look through all of the options in the complications thing, kind of it goes through stress. Well, stress is what we had in, in Marvel and then it has pushing stress. Well, that's what we had in, uh, Smallville and then it has trauma. Well, that was in Marvel and then it has life points. Well, that was what was in the original Cortex games like Supernatural and Battlestar. Yeah. This, is, this book is like, it's a toolkit for people who already understand Cortex. The way you're absolutely right, if you have never played Cortex in the past and you come to this, then I think there's too much going on. I think this um, is trying, you'll be trying to sip from a fire yeah, hose like straight let's, on. Let's, let's talk about the, the kind of the interesting section to me because the, the, the sections left in this, there's a big section on scenes, which just kind of goes through how do you want to run scenes? And the main options, are you going to do this thing with like escalating dice rolls or are you going to have a standard you go, I go, I do an action, you do an action, like, you know, 5e and most other role-playing games. So that's not interesting, really. That's that's standard. What is interesting is it's the, the prime characters, because to me, this is the thing that will make your Cortex. Now, if you are building a Cortex game from scratch, you like you fought your way through the core section and decided what rules you're using. The main thing then is, how do I put a character together? Because your most standard one, and this actually does a better job of saying, right, if you want to play, a, there's a tiny little table, ready-made prime sets. If you want to play yep. a grim fantasy, you take attributes and skills because that's your standard thing for most role-playing games. You have, a, you have six attributes and then you have some skills. And when you do something, you roll your attribute dice and you roll your skill dice. And you would also probably have a distinction because it says you should probably always have a distinction. And then it puts in here, superheroes is affiliations and powers because that's what MHR has. Um, romantic fantasies, relationships, and skills. Although, what I'd like, I would like a little bit of explanation, like attributes and skills. Why is that grim fantasy? Yeah, Why it doesn't. It, it doesn't, doesn't explain. Now, I no. understand heist action, attributes, and roles. That's leverage. That's, That's it was lifted leverage. directly from from leverage. I get it. But again, this is. You're right. You're absolutely right. This is a. This is a. a, a a book of options for people who already get and like Cortex and want to tinker with it. This is not a universal rule set like Genesis. Someone who wants to get a book and maybe tinker with pieces of it. Uh, and then, I think you're, you're right. My issue with that is I remember getting Genesis and still having the same. Where I'll, I'll talk about my pros and cons of this at the end. I like, I'm doing a lot of defending of this book. I have massive issues with it, but. I'm kind of defending from point of view. I remember what this book was designed for. This yeah. was the book I kickstarted, and this is the book that I got. I don't think it's good for anyone outside of the people that kickstarted it. Yeah. You could turn, you could take a Cortex book and you could do two pages, you know, two sides of A4 or whatever you guys use would be a Cortex rule set. It would, you know, you wouldn't need to write a lot for it because it's relatively rules light kind of at it the is. end of the day. Um, so yeah, Genesis is a good comparison, but actually I had the same feeling reading Genesis. I remember getting that thing and, I can't use this book until they release some setting books. Yeah. Once they release so, some setting books, I can use it. Talking about character creation, what I, I find interesting is there's about 20 some pages. Is it 20 some pages? Probably. No, I think we should go actually, it. it's more, yeah, it's almost, more it's 30 pages. Yeah. Or so. Can I go, uh, can I go through them? Because I want to explain the different things that you can choose yeah, to put do it. together. Okay. Do it. So the first one is affiliations. Affiliations came from the original idea was from Marvel, where you, you had this weird thing in which you have a die you have a dice for solo buddy or team. So depending right. whether you're in a team or a solo, or you have all this different thing, which is kind of a I've never seen where else you could use that for. The example they give here is a medieval setting, clergy, nobility, or commons. Yeah, that seems a bit weird. So 
I didn't like that in Marvel, and I don't. But it's it's an interesting, it's a different idea. It's showing a different way of doing. It. Attributes is your classic one. Okay, they give us they give us their their classic ones they used in it. But okay, we know what everyone's going to use. It's you know strength, dexterity, constitution, sure. and and so on. Or you're going to use you know phase rip or something. But that's your standard, and everyone's comfortable with that. And it kind of says you know attributes offer an insight into character experience. It even says in it if you're not sure where to start with prime sets in Cortex Prime game, start with attributes. Then we get distinctions. Now, this is the one, like I said, distinctions are a descriptive word where it's just a word that represents a character. It's like aspects in fate. Um, it's kind of like truths in uh, truths in 2D20. 2D20 yeah. But you would have a dice assigned to it. But normally the idea is you have three distinctions and you get a D8. And the idea is, is almost anything you, anytime you make a roll, you're always going to get to throw in your distinction. It's right. just, a, it's a, basically, it's a way to get an extra dice all the time. Um, and what, what, let, me, let me say this real quick. That... This is this is an interesting way. Take you take attributes, and again, that if, if you take that route, that is far more traditional. Like mm -hmm. the 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 individual quantifiable bits and pieces of your character distinctions, far more narrative. Yeah, far more abstract in nature. So this this toolkit could leave you, depending on what you do with it as a GM, could leave you with something as. Um, like call it traditional, like closer something to like five E, yeah, or like Octoon Cthulhu or Conan for two die twenty, a traditional kind of rule set, or something very narrative like Dune. Yeah. Okay, uh, so powers are next. Yeah, so they actually give us a couple of different ways of doing powers. So it starts off with what you had in Marvel. They give you a list of powers, and you think, oh, there's no description on here. Well, there's an appendix. Well, it's not an appendix, but there's a bunch of stuff in there which goes through and explains yeah. how those powers work. And each is like, you know, what does D8 super strength do? What does D10 super strength do? What does D12 weather control do? That's not a power, but you get the idea. Um, and it lists all those kind of out later on. And then it explains how you can use these with a power set. So in Marvel, what you had is a power set, which had a group of powers. So you might have a thing that said, right, I've got a... I've got like I've got this level of stamina and I've got this level of super strength and then I've got intangibility and that would be a power set. And then you'd have another power set that was coming from like a magic weapon, which gave you like an attack ability and something. And you'd you'd have those and the idea would be you'd be roll a dice from one power set and a dice from another power set. And again, one of the problems here is because they don't give you any examples of what a character built with these looks like. If you've yeah. never seen MHR building characters using power sets would be really difficult. I mean, I could do it with my eyes closed because I did it for sort of two years when I started my blog. That's what I did. I wrote, I wrote powers and power sets and built characters for MHR. So it would be easy to me. But if you, if I read this, I don't think I'd have a clue how to do it. Then over the page, it gets more confusing because then it suddenly starts talking about abilities where now abilities are like, there's a word and it has a dice thing. And then it has a bunch of special effects on it. And it's like, yeah. what? And that's because this is how yeah, Smallville did powers, which is completely different from how MHR did powers. But again, there's no example. There's an example well, of what the, simple strength looks like, but there's not an example really of what a character built with this system looks like. They mentioned by implication earlier in the book, hey, you can you could uh, model a game after your favorite TV show. and Or, you know, it's like they they refer to without using the names of 
IPs that used to be powered by a version of Cortex because, of course, they can't say it because they don't have the IP anymore. And so the frustrating thing here is that it would be great if they could say, hey, listen, we used to have this Supernatural game and it used these and we did it this way and it worked out. This is at least the way we think. We In Smallville, this kind of Superman-ish game, this is why we did it like this. They can't say any of those things. And so the problem is they lose the opportunity to use the examples that actually would, would make sense of yeah. these different approaches. The trouble that I have with this is that, again, unless you came to this with a very clear idea of what kind of a feel you want at the table, you might just be throwing darts you know, down a well or into a dark yeah. room and hoping that you're going to hit something like, well, I don't really know. Relationships plus skill? I don't know. I mean, what, 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 what will I choose? There's a difference between understanding how something works and what the thing actually accomplishes, yeah, or what and it establishes I, because it works that way. They have lots of examples of how these diff, different things work, but they are lacking that that incredibly important layer of, well, what will you accomplish because it works like this? Yeah, yeah. The funny thing, the hackers guide they did that kind of did have sections on it, and I think they are meant to be doing supposedly these books, which will have more. Like at the end of this, there's. There's a couple of these prime settings, but again, there's no, there's, there's, they tell you what the settings are and they tell you how to build a character and which, which prime rules they're using. They don't tell you why they made those decisions. Exactly. And supposedly they're meant to be releasing these PDFs, which will, but again, it, you know, it, it took us five or six years to get this book. I mean, actually the weird thing is we've then got the Dragon Prince game in a year and Martin, like Master of the Universe is going to be out, I know, next year. And we've seen stuff for that, but because the thing is, they're making money out of that. The stuff that, you know, this Kickstarter, this Kickstarter was paid for in like 2016. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there is one last one. Skills is quite interesting. They split it up into like, they give you things like for roles. Like you said, leverage has this idea of hacker, hitter, grifter, thief, and mastermind or something. So they That's can leverage, give you like, yeah. it gives you a suggestion you can use that. But again, they, can't, they don't use those words because no. they can't because they're linked to leverage. Um, and then they have this one, which is like my absolute pet hate of thing I hate. They have values. And the idea of values is, you know, this thing. So I'll give you the example. We've seen values because values is used in 2D20 in, in, um, in June. Um, yeah. And it gives you an idea, duty, glory, justice, love, power, truth. I hate values. Very simple reason that characters can find it very easily to just always use their best value. I'm doing yeah. this for justice. I'm doing this for justice. I'm doing this for justice. Why are you hitting this little man at justice? <laughs> and so, you know, it's just like... <laughs> Um, Why'd you steal that kid's lunch money? Justice. Yeah, justice. Yeah. It's just, and that's what it's like. Now, Smallville used values, but Smallville had this very clever thing about if you did something against your value, then you could change the value. Like you, you rolled the dice, but then afterwards you sort of stepped it down for the rest of the session because you went against it. And then you could change that at the end of the session for something and like bump something up and bump something down. But that was built into the Smallville role. Smallville was designed to deliberately challenge your values. Yeah, but this doesn't have those rules. This, you know, there was stuff about, stress, but that's not in there. So you're back to doing the classic. I'm always going to use my best thing. Uh, I mean, the Dragon Prince thing also uses values, which when I saw that, I was like, oh, I hate it already. Um, but I still got it because it's a nice shiny book, and I like the setting. And if the only thing I don't like about it is is values, it's like, ah, oh, well, it's a. You, you can know, work around that. I can work around that, and that may actually, because I haven't properly read it, that may actually have the rules for challenging your values. But like I said, that's kind of it. Then there's a whole bunch of of extra mods at the end of it. There's a rule of create how to create characters. Which again, this is the thing. Because you have to decide yourself as the GM which different 
trait sets you're going to use, you then also have to decide how many traits do people get? If you're right. using attributes, how many dice do they get at different levels? If you're using powers, how many power sets do you get? So you're actually having to design the character creation for your players. I, I think it's, it's bigger than that, though. Well, here, here would be my thing on it. This is what I've, I may have said this to you previously, and this is what I found. There was a point a while back where I considered using, you know, when I was, I was struggling to, I wanted to play a League of Legends yeah. game. Should I use Cortex? And my simple things come down to that. The amount of effort I have to put into writing a Cortex Prime game is the same effort I could put in writing a game from scratch. Really what you've got with this is you've got a lot of cool ideas, which is helping you. If you were like a rookie designer and you had no ideas, you've never read a role-playing game, and for some reason you start with this, you could take this and put, get some ideas out of this and you could create a game. Like if you've, or you've only ever played 5e and you're like, I want to play something different. I want to create my own game. Potentially you can take this and it'll give you ideas. But that's all it will do. Yeah. It will not write the game for you. It will not do the character creation for you. It will give you ideas. But the kind of my thought on this is like, by taking the stuff in here that I do like, the amount of stuff I have to add in to get the game I want, I might as well start from scratch or hack something. Because I could take 2D20 and alter a few things. And we did it. We took, we took, a, we took uh, Actor Cthulhu. We made a few tweaks. We had Ghostbusters. Yeah. And that game was ready to go. We, we spent like an hour, and I spent about an hour writing some stuff up, and that was it. That game was ready to go. If I wanted to run Ghostbusters with Cortex, I have to decide which rule things am I using. I have to decide which traits I'm using. I have to decide how you use those traits to create a character and how many points you get at different things. I have to decide how equipment's going to work. I have to decide how the combat runs. I have to decide how character growth goes. And here's the killer. I then have to create all of the monsters from scratch because there are now, none. At that point, why well, here's, here's something else to consider. If you... Okay, again, if you like Cortex... Okay, if you're listening to this and you're going, well, I like Cortex. I've played it a few times. I dig it. Or you, you want me to, well, chances are, if you if you really if you really like Cortex, you don't need to listen to this. You've probably tuned us out. You probably didn't even, you know, you might have listened to five minutes and then left because you've already got this thing. the 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 trouble is, you know, one of the challenges of running a detailed published adventure is that you need to sink more time than you think into studying the thing and learning it and like you you have to learn something for its own merits objectively before you can subjectively go about deciding what you like and what you don't like you can't make sense of it until you sink the time into understanding it in its own right and these rules especially for the uh, uh, like a novice GM, I frankly think would be overwhelming. Like the amount of time that you would have to sit and read and reread and reread and game through yourself ideas of, well, what if I use this option and this option and then threw this other option in? What if I didn't throw that third option in? What would it be like? Um, <laughs> you know, if you're the kind of person who wants to figure out to the you know, fifth decimal place, the amount of gravitational force on a scout courier in your traveler game in one system, you would probably like doing that with this. Like you would sit here and you would tinker through all the implications of this set of options versus that set of options. If you want to put together your own game, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you maybe just, you know what, 
maybe just learn the core mechanic and then go run off and make up your own stuff. Because I think the amount of time that you would sink into trying to first understand all of these different pieces and parts and then get a sense of possibly the implications of those things with your group of players. Um, if you want to call it like a, a, not a guided, but like, this is like Iron Chef of gaming that, in a weird way. Like you yeah, have it, all these pieces, it, it figure it, it out yourself. <laughs> yeah. It, it does say toolkit, but I don't think it, Genesis kind of says it's a toolkit. The difference is that Genesis actually has a very clear, here's the rules, here's a bunch of stuff for characters. You have to tell, you have to decide how the characters are going to be made and which rules you are and aren't going to use. This, you literally have to piece yep. it all together. Like, and a crazy amount of piecing it all together. You, the GM for this is doing a huge amount of work. And like I've said, it, it, the people who knew what they were doing, okay? Like, so like I was, when Marvel Heroic, well, I did it twice. So Mass Effect's like one of my favorite computer games of all time. When I saw Leverage, I hacked Leverage to run Mass Effect. And then Marvel Heroic role-playing came out and I was like, I like this more. So then I did another hack. I rehacked my Leverage hack to do a Marvel Heroic hack. And then I also did Eclipse phase. And there was a card game that was Werewolves and Vampires. And I hacked that to use Marvel Heroic because I saw it was easy, super easy. Now this is like, here's all these other options. Just pick and choose. It's like a yeah. menu, you pick and choose the menu. But the killer again comes down to, if you already know what you like and you already know what goes together and how things work, then this book is great. And that's the people who kickstarted right. this book, like me. My name's probably in the credits somewhere. If you've never played a Cortex game, or the only Cortex games that you've played are the super old ones, and you've never played it since, and you look at this book, it will be crazily overwhelming yeah. because that it doesn't have like a big chapter in it explaining, here's some suggestions of things you can do. In fact, what it does have is it has almost 60 pages of example settings um, and there's a few pages in there for this pick three and add cortex where they'd like say, just take a couple of just take a couple of these things and throw it together and you'll have fun. And it's like, no, because you still have so much work to do. The three settings they give you in that, I feel like they're in there because when the kickstart was done, they were promised, but they feel very half-hearted. They're not, I don't find them interesting. If someone does or you wrote them, apologies, just they don't, they don't do it for me. Um, and there's more that's meant to be on their way, but again, they're, they're, they're not. But like I said, I feel like a some of that is fandom are like, well, we don't care. Um, and, you know, people have got better things. So, for example, my honest thing is, if you are interested in trying out Cortex, yeah, there you go, Dragon Prince. It's an actual Cortex game. Right, which is, and, and the, the key here is that then they have, those folks have taken that property and they've taken essentially this book and they have put together a coherent whether you like it or not is a to totally separate issue, but a coherent version of Cortex to work with that property where it, it, you, you can point to something and say, those are the rules instead yeah. of, I mean, it's like you, 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 invite, you invite friends over to eat and they expect that you have a meal. <laughs> they don't expect to show up at your house and you're like, yeah, check out my pantry. What do you think? And that's well, I mean, it. It would go in, it's more extreme than that. It would be asking the people to tell and then say, right, you cook. Here, here is my entire, you, you, you could choose what you want and you're going to put it together as well. And I'm not going to do anything. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Actually, you look at the Dragon Prince. Dragon Prince, the lead, the, the main writer on it, it's not, it's not someone from fandom. It's Cam Banks. So Cam, who is the expert of yeah. Cortex, because all of the things that he's the main writer on, on Dragon Prince Tales of Zadia. So it still took the person that knew exactly what they were doing with Cortex 
to, to write their game. It's not like they farmed it out to someone else. They, you know, they used Cam. Um, I assume that the master of the universe maybe is someone different, but I, I think, you know, he's part of the, the company now. So he'll be doing it. Like I said, I haven't looked through the Dragon Prince thing. Um, it could be cool. But if you are, if you are interested in, like we've said, if you're interested in learning 2D20 uh, and you don't know which system, you don't care. You don't care at all. We would put you towards acting Cthulhu because it's a good middle ground. And it makes sense. So I saying, if you were like, oh, I quite, I've heard this Cortex thing is interesting. I don't know who you've heard that from, but if you've heard this Cortex thing is interesting, I would not point you to that game handbook. You will be confused. You will not be able to run a game with it um, unless you've played it already. If you've played some other Cortex, great. If you've managed to get your hands on some other Cortex stuff, great. But otherwise, if you're really interested, um, go and get the Dragon Prince game handbook yeah. because it, it's, it's a nice setting. Um, and you know, it's, it's using the cortex thing and it'll explain how it works. Um, they used values, but you know, can't help that. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Because then you can at least see what the designer believes can be done with these manifold options to meet the needs of a specific, uh, in this case, a Pacific, uh, a specific IP. Um, I mean, it's the thing is they were doing it back in the day. Margaret Weiss was using Cortex to do what Modiphius does now. Sure. You know, if I look at the dates here, Smallville and Leverage are both 2010. Marvel Heroic was 2012. Firefly was 2014. Each of those has very, very different. The, the only thing that was the same is they were, they were referred to as Cortex and you rolled some dice and took two. Yeah. That's literally all. They, you know, they all have plot points. Um, they had very, very little in common, even compared to Modiphius. More, most of the Modiphius games have more in common than those do. Really do. When, and, until you start going to Dune, which really is like out on its own weird. Although still, the, the, core, the core resolution mechanic is the same. And, and there are still elements, at least the way I see it, there are elements of 2 die 20 that you recognize in mm. Dune they're just go, they go about it a little bit differently or at maybe at a different level instead of a more granular level it's it is more of this bigger picture narrative level um but um yeah yeah i don't i i guess i'll close up my thoughts on this with this that i think that yeah it's kind of a preaching to the choir kind of um kind of effort that if you dig cortex i actually think this book is great or yeah. would be great if you dig Cortex and you relish the idea of tinkering with all different kinds of options and then, you know, seeing it through with your players. Now, if you have a group of like-minded individuals, this could potentially be terrific. Like you'd sit around at the table and it would be like this, um, it'd be like this, like a, a like a R&D, like testing lab of game mechanics. You would just go through and try different things and, and like, hey, let's, Let's run one like horror session using these combinations of options. Let's run the next one with and see how different it is. Like you could potentially have a lot of fun with stories and the game side of it if you had like-minded people. Now, if you are a GM who is like most GMs, you probably have a couple of players that you've put together who have varying levels of interest in the game, the IP, whatever, their cell phone, things like that. And so that's probably not going to happen. So it's really going to fall on you, the GM. Do you want to do all this work to create a, a, 
a single system out of this? And then do you want to take the time to communicate it to a bunch of players that, you know, that, that's a question you got to ask yourself. And I think if the answer is yes, then, then this could be, this could be great. If not, I think that the biggest problem with this system is it came out at the wrong time. If it, you know, it was kickstarted in, I don't know, 2015, 2016, had it come out within a year when people were still talking and thinking about Cortex, hmm. Or people still had reference material, then it had been fine. But it's taken so long to come out. It took five years. He, yeah, people don't talk about Cortex anymore. People might start talking about Cortex because fandom went out and bought it as their like in-house system, so they didn't have to use one. And they've thrown it into like I said, Dragon Prince, and then they're doing Master Universe, and there'll be something else. And you can now, like, if I want to go and write Cortex stuff, I can go and. Actually, I'm not sure whether it goes on drive through on fandom, but I can write Cortex stuff now. One of the things they are doing is at the same time as doing this, they said they were going to do an SRD, a system reference document. Now, I'm not sure we ever got a decent, fully finished version of that. But let's have a quick think. We've got a, a system which is used by a company for different IP, and they subtly tweak the system. Uh, and then eventually, they're releasing an, S, an SRD. So you can take that and make your own things. Huh. That's exactly what Modifius are doing. Yeah. It just it hasn't taken them a six-year gap between their last game and the thing to do it, we hope. I don't think that this is an SRD. It feels like it. because, But no, <laughs> you'd think that it is. But I believe, I think that an SRD, it, it implicitly asserts that there is a there is a system like soup to nuts, you know, yeah. like like A to Z. There is a system here, and then we have these. Maybe there's you know, depending on the system, there's a degree of modularity or a series of options to add to it or not. the The trouble with this is that this has this has a resolution mechanic, yeah, and then it. the rest of it is all yeah. options. You have to assemble it beyond that. I suspect that the SRD may actually be better formatted for its purpose. Because the SID will probably have, here's your core, and here's all the other core things, and then here's all the other mods. One thing I have to say about this book is that this book actually looks amazing. And it's both a good and yeah, a bad thing for it. Because the art in it is great. The layout in this book is some of the best layout I've seen in any book. But actually, that's not a good thing. Because it makes you think you're looking at a proper role-playing game, and you're not. And you're not. You're looking at a bunch of options. Um, if it didn't have all of that fancy stuff, if it was just the rules... Not all the layout, not all the art, not all the just the, the, what the good lookingness of this book. If it was just the rules, it would probably work better. I think in some ways you get distracted by all this other stuff because actually this yeah. book looks better than it has any right to. It is essentially, it is not a rule book, it's a toolkit. If you go and look at Genesis, yeah. the Genesis book is awful. It has a bits of art in it and it's okay, but it's not, <laughs> it's not, you know, no one sits there and look at the Genesis book. Oh, this is a really nice book to look at. Um, you know, mostly it's like sketches. And actually, that made sense. It's a toolkit. Yeah. You're meant to be yeah. putting it together. So they did the whole book as sketches and sort of lineup. It's got full-color page things, and it looks amazing. But it's not a role-playing game. Yeah. It's not even like bits of a role-playing game. It's like all of the different possible potential multiversal aspects to a role-playing game, and you choose which ones you want to use in your version. Like I said already, every time I've come to use this, like I said, I, I have in the past hacked existing versions of of a cortex things into my into something that used that version but did something different every time i've come to do this i've kind of gone the amount of work it will take me to write out and decide what i want and put together the character creation and all of the other things into a playable document and character sheet i might as well just create something else from scratch or just hack yeah. something else which is why i have not used this book um 
other than looking at it and going, ooh, it's pretty. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. And I, although the art, I think, and this is, this is the last thing that I have to say, is I, I, I agree with you. I think, though, that the, the art is meant to, maybe it's meant to communicate the idea of these are all, this is all the kind of excitement and action you can have at your table. And then the, the postscript or the little, the tiny little script at the bottom of the page is asterisk. If you put in a metric crap ton of work to come out with the, the version of these rules that you want to make that happen. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. The choices folks make and uh, the, the things that, that get published and don't get published. So, all right. I think that'll do it. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.